Welcome to the Pepscientific 11 Minutes. Um, my name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a Spain specialized physiotherapist uh, and one of the LePup team. With me today, Melanie Noel, one of our, well, you've been previous speaker. Uh, uh, I think it was 2020, I guess, mm -hmm. probably. Um, so excited to have you back. Um, here and um, we're going to talk about your work and exciting uh, projects you've been on. Um, I'd like to give you some just an opportunity to introduce yourself. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I'm uh, Melanie Noel. Um, I am an associate professor of clinical psychology at the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, and, um, you know, my job is mostly to do research. So I have a chair that protects my time uh, and I mentor sort of the next generation of pediatric pain researchers. Um, and my work is really focused on um, what kids remember about pain, how important those memories are, how they can be changed. And uh, also this connection between trauma and pain and how pain and, and trauma in a parent uh, can sort of confer risk or resilience uh, in a kid um, uh, over time. So this intergenerational transmission of pain, I'm really fascinated in. So that's who I am, where I am. Uh, and I will say that the La Pub talk I gave in 2020 was the most fun talk I've ever given because <laughs> you guys gave me the permission to go rogue. Uh, and I got to talk about everything I was excited about in a non-traditional way. So thanks for that. And happy to be back. Oh, that's great, Mel. That's great feedback. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be very different today. Actually, we just we just want to catch up with you. Uh, so, what's exciting about being in the field today, and um, assuming that projects have moved on, um, mm. we give ourselves uh, like it's not. We have eleven minutes now, so we are going to start the eleven minutes right now. I know it's it's going to be tight. I, I assure you that, but we have some extended time after the 11 minutes when we finish the podcast for people who love to join online so um i'm just gonna press it now yeah there you go all right mel um we just according to your last last talk with us um we talked we, we talked you you brought up the influence that parents have on children's um, children's later children's experience and even um, memorizing that experience in a way that it's influencing their pain. Um, so since the last two years, so what will be exciting findings, if you like, or knowledge that you, that really been rocking your world over the time in that area? Yeah, so much, Bert. Uh yeah. So, you know, I think whenever we think about kids and kids, childhood is where often pain starts, right? So that's why we should all care about it, even if we don't work with kids, um, is that we are learning that, you know, where a parent is in terms of their own pain and their own mental health is one of the most powerful predictors of how a child will cope with pain, whether they'll develop pain problems and whether those pain problems will persist, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to blame parents. To me, that's really exciting because it says, wow, like 
there's something that we can do. Um, but I will say that what we're learning is that like, even the trauma and pain that a parent experiences early in their own childhoods, what we're learning from our basic science colleagues is that that can confer risk through epigenetics, through behavior, uh, for pain in a, even an unborn child. Okay. So we're learning all about risk. We're learning that this risk can even be transmitted throughout generations. Um, but what's really exciting is we're learning about resilience. So um, I'll use the example of trauma. You know, my work is really interested in trauma and early adverse childhood experiences, abuse, neglect, um, you know, household dysfunction. Um, we are finding that, yes, you know, ACEs, uh, trauma confers risk uh, to kids. But actually, there's antidotes to that. What are the antidotes? Uh, community support, the ability to talk to family members about difficult emotions, um, attachment, social support. Um, so I've become really, really what's rocking my world, like you said, to use your language, is this idea of um, kind of going beyond just the parent and the child or the clinician and the person with pain uh, and going broader into the community and to the broader, um, you know, societal, cultural influences, um, how our systems influence how we talk about pain, how we understand pain, how we experience pain. Um, and so, and how can we sort of, you know, um, work within those systems to foster resilience? Um, so I think as a psychologist, we've talked a lot about like what, where does the risk come from sort of really focused on the negative. Um, and there's a lot of negative to focus on, but I'm really getting excited about these broader structural influences, but parents for sure play a huge role, not just in their own pain and mental health, but you know, a new kind of finding from our lab is just the way that parents talk to kids after painful experiences can actually reframe their entire, the child's entire understanding and memories of those experiences. So that's what's getting me really excited. So can you, can you, um, uh, two questions there. So what, how you, would you define resilience? And can you give an example of such an experience of a child that um, has been exposed by the language of the parent, which could um, um, strengthen or change that that narrative or that even that experience itself. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So you can't have resilience without adversity, mm. right? Um, so I think I'm really glad you asked that question because um, to show resilience means to, you know, survive, thrive in the face of adversity. Right. So, you know, these ideas of optimism, uh, benefit finding, uh, post-traumatic growth, like all of those things uh, sort of require um, the salty to experience the sweet. Right. Um, uh, and so that's how I define resilience. It's sort of like in the face of risk, how does a child um, fare well? How does a child cope well? How does a child develop well? Um, What's an example of this uh, in terms of how parents' language can influence a child? Very simple. You know, we did a randomized control trial where we followed a bunch of kids who had surgery uh, and we taught their parents to talk to the kids in a way that um, emphasized anything positive 
about the experience um, that corrected their exaggeration. So if the child was like remembering it as being really, really bad and scary, like worse than it actually was, we taught the parents how to kind of bring it back to the real. Um, and a really important thing, you got to talk to a kid in a way that boosts their confidence in their ability to manage pain. So instead of just saying you were brave, you know, you'd say something like, you were brave because, you know, you took deep breaths and, you know, it was hard, but you, you got through it. You, you know, talk to yourself, you watched your video, whatever it is, like teaching the kid that they could, that they were resilient in the, in the midst of a painful incident. And honestly, Bart, talking to a kid, we taught the parents how to do that. Talking to a kid in that way, um, you know, two weeks after a painful surgery actually led those children to develop more positive, you know, realistic memories of that experience. So, you know, I mean, this is not out of step with pain neuroscience education or, you know, all of the work that you guys have have contributed around the power of our words and our explanations and our framings. Um, and so that's an example um, that's, I think is really tangible. The other thing I'd say is I'm doing some prevention work now um, with high-risk kids of veterans who have a lot of pain and a lot of PTSD. Uh, and one thing we're doing is teaching the parents how to talk about difficult things in a validating way. And we have enough research to say that if a child feels comfortable to talk to their parent, um, whether they have pain, anxiety, trauma, depression, if they can go to their parents with difficult things and their parents can listen and validate their experience, that is a huge antidote too. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds really simple, but it's actually, I think, quite profound um, for that reason. I think it's very challenging. So, so if we can bring it to the clinic, if if that's all right. So you would be. So most of our, well, my my work focusing on maybe adolescents, but most of them grown to like adults. So if they do have these experiences, which are likely like 20, 30, 40 years ago, what what will be your um. Yeah, I'm trying to be very specific. So what what is something you should be aware of in the clinic? So seeing a grown-up person, what is a sign of someone who's likely be, let's say, having been exposed by language or behavior of parents that is probably influencing their experience at this stage right now uh, in a not say not in a good manner yeah great um and i guess um great question i guess i'd like to extend it's not just parents it's clinicians yeah, yeah, and yeah, other people cool. yeah. right yeah. and but you raise a really important question like i'm not sure we need to go and dig into the childhood trauma of a 40 year old who's there for physio or you know psychology you know i'm not sure we need to do that i think we have to be aware that um, you know, all of the experiences that this individual has had, both in their childhood, but also, Bart, what's really important, and we're learning in the area of diagnostic uncertainty and whether people buy into the diagnosis or they think something else more serious is going on, um, is every clinical encounter that that person has had 
prior to seeing you. You could be the most woke, you know, you know, like, you know, I believe you, you could say all the right things. Um, I think what's really important clinically is to know that they're, they're on the journey to get to you. Um, they've had a lot of um, invalidation, stigmatization, um, messaging, language that has influenced their current understanding and more importantly, their ability to buy in to what your understanding is and what your explanation is. So to me, I'm not sure. I think, I think if there's power in understanding that our pasts influence our presence. Um, but I think clinically what's, what we're learning is really important is how they've navigated and the messaging they've gotten from other clinicians along their journey to get a diagnosis and a, tr a, a treatment for pain. Yeah. So would you, you, would you consider like you, you proposed for a kid, like the best way to go is preparing a kid by telling them how good they cope with the experience. Would you say that if someone has not been ever been exposed by those, so it will be a way of, as a clinician, by emphasizing with your patient, by saying, well, this is something you did really great. So you had this flare up and I think you did the great with the breathing and, and maybe even asking this patient, I would reckon I would, so ask them that. So did anyone being so supportive with you? This, how does it feel like? Oh, oh shit. Just, does anybody, is anybody being seen very supportive with this? How does it feel to be encouraged by me telling you this? Is that, is that a strategy would, you would recommend in the yeah. clinical encounters? You know, my answer is really driven from people with lived experience that have you know, people I know and friends and patient partners who have said like they they'd been through 15 to 20 years of invalidation and, you know, like, um, you know, uh, you know, I don't believe you kind of messages and the power in that one clinician that really listened, not just listened, heard, showed that they heard, validated. So, you know, that's the beauty um, of what we can provide. Um, I think we need to kind of get our egos in check and realize that just because we're, we have a lot of credentials and we know, we know what's going on and we, we buy into something, um, that's not enough. An explanation's not enough. A diagnosis is not enough. Um, but the power in how we validate in how we relate to the individual, listen and hear, um, can make a big difference. And yes, as you're saying, like how we encourage, how we reflect, um, you know, that can undo a lot of doing of mm. previous, um, providers. So I, like, I think, I like, that's yeah, I like to stick on that one. Um, though we have to finish the podcast now, so we're going to extend from here. So what I like to go through from in the extended is how, what's the chances just winning this challenge of the pain memory, if you like. So how likely is it by using the knowledge of previous experiences in childhood, how likely is it to be involved or in some way being part of the treatment program um, um, as a, with an adult so i would be really curious about what you're thinking about that so let's see if we can transfer that so uh, before we go in then um i'd like to 
things say thank you for our podcast listeners uh whatever like it and uh, share it uh wherever um we're going to be soon back with another episode in two weeks um it's going to be probably another exciting one so thank you for listening